Good morning, friends. Today's scripture reading comes from John 8, 1 through 11. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he returned to the temple. All the people gathered around him, and he sat down and taught them. The legal experts and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Placing her in the center of the group, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? They said this to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. They continued to question him, so he stood up and replied, Whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote on the ground. Those who heard him went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? She said, No one, sir. He said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, don't sin anymore. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Well, good morning, church. My name is Mark Montgomery. I'm also one of the pastors here, and uh, I just I just want to try something real quick. Rob, this feels pretty nice, man. I mean, preaching like this. Now, the water's a little too deep for me, but you do great at it, man. Hey, but I want to invite us uh, before... Uh, before I share a word that I believe God has placed on my heart to share with all of us today, may, might we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace you've shown us through Jesus Christ. Lord, the grace you've given us freely by his blood. We pray this morning that as, as we reflect on grace and what that means for all of us, may we receive it. Lord, may we live it, may we share it, may your Holy Spirit help us to do all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So it was the fall of 1989, and in the admitting of the freshman class of Princeton, there was a, a student by the name of Alexi Santana, and he had absolutely blown the admissions committee away. They were so excited to receive this student because he had such a unique story. Right, He had grown up uh, in Utah pretty much by himself. He'd lived outdoors for most of his life. Uh, he, While he was living outdoors on his own, he had herded cattle, tended to sheep, read philosophy. I mean, what a cool guy. In fact, he taught himself how to uh, be a distance runner by running through the Mojave Desert. A man after my own heart, right? In fact, it wasn't long after being at Princeton that he soon became a star. And people just kind of flocked around Alexi because he had such a cool life. There was just one problem about his life story. It was a lie. He'd made it all up. In fact, the Princeton officials, it didn't take them long. They eventually figured out that Alexi Santana was actually named James Hogue. He was 31 years old. He had actually been arrested and incarcerated in Utah for, I think, stealing tools and bike parts. He was taken away from Princeton in handcuffs. But you know, as you look back through the history of humankind, there are a lot of really good liars and deceivers. I mean, people who can tell some pretty big stories and get other people to believe what they say. Bernie Madoff, right, in finance, convinced a whole lot of people that what he was selling was the truth. Politicians like Richard Nixon and all of them. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, goodness. <laughs> but you know what, what I think it shows is, while these are examples of people who are really good at the craft, the truth it reveals about all of us is that in one, one form or another, lying can kind of feel natural to us. And for some of us, you know, we don't set out to hurt people with our lies. And for some of us, we don't even tell big lies. We tell little white lies or my favorite lie to tell is the lie of omission, right? I didn't tell you that. And, and that's to avoid conflict, even though it makes conflict even worse later. Or the big blatant lies that we do out of a sense of survival or we want to um, get ahead, whatever that might, looks like, might look like for us. But my sense is that every one of us in this room has lied at some point in our life, whether, whether it's to a stranger, to a co-worker, to a friend, or to a loved one. Lying can feel natural. And here's the thing about lying that is also true about sin in our life. It can mess up and pollute the relationships in our lives. Whether we lie to ourselves, whether we lie to God, or whether we lie to the people around us, lying like sin can pollute those relationships. And so, that's not how we were created. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today, you were created beautifully by God, and you were created to trust in relationships. You were created to trust God, to trust yourself and who God has created you to be, and to trust the people around you. And And would you agree that our world just doesn't look like that today? And I just want to tell you that I think it's because sin has polluted the relationships in our lives that we have with God, ourselves, and others. And that's what we've been talking about in our series, Second Chances. And we started talking about that last week and the ways that sin can impact our lives, the way that sin can pollute those relationships that we have with ourselves, with God, with others. And Pastor Rob talked about two main ways that sin kind of works in our life. The first is called hamartia, which simply means to miss the mark. I'm going to try this. It simply means to miss the mark, right? That we might not know that we're loved by God. That we might not know that we belong as a part of God's family. That we might not know that we were created for a purpose. And so we can forget that. And... God has created us and calls us to live in a certain way, to, to follow God's will in our lives. And, and so what hamartia means is that as we seek to follow God, the burdens of this world, the burdens of sin, rather, in our life prevents us from living as we were called to live, from being who God has called us to be. That's hamartia. And hatima is when we withhold from others. So this sense that, man, we know that we're loved, we know that we belong, we know that uh, we have a purpose, and yet for the people around us, we don't act that way. We don't live that way, and we certainly don't share God's grace as we've received it. We don't share that with others. And so it can can really impact us in a big way, and that can really impact our relationship, especially with others, particularly where I think Hatima, this idea of withholding, this idea of God has called us a certain way, we know that we're supposed to go that certain way, and we choose to go this way, where I think that that can impact us the most is the real struggle that all of us have with grace. Now, I know we're in a church, and we're all Christians, and we should love, man, we love grace, right? As long as we're receiving it. Now, admit this. Do you struggle with grace like I do when I'm giving it away? Now, I can give away a little bit of grace. 
But when I have to give a whole heck of a lot of grace away, that's a little uncomfortable. Would you agree? Like, for instance, if uh, if there's a 16-year-old who smokes a cigarette and then comes to me and asks for forgiveness, I can forgive this 16-year-old. Right? Or a 19-year-old who tries to uh, sneak a beer, I can forgive them. Now, if you're 16 or 19, don't do those things. Or the person who cheats on the test. Right? These are all small enough. I feel comfortable enough to offer you grace. That's easy. What about somebody who cheats on their spouse? What about somebody who steals from their employer? You see, that's when it starts to feel a little bit more uncomfortable. And the reality is, is that when you think about grace, it kind of messes with our mind because it doesn't make sense intellectually. And it just, it feels kind of weird giving it away. It, It doesn't feel right emotionally, especially when grace is given to the wrong people. And that's the problem with Jesus, is Jesus is giving grace to all the wrong people all the time. (laughs) And so here's what I want to talk about today, because at the end of the day, grace doesn't make sense. And at the end of the day, grace is exactly what we need, and it's exactly what God gives us. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 8. We'll be looking at 1 through 11, our passage today, and we're going to look at how Jesus shares grace with others in unexpected ways and with people we not we might not expect Jesus to share grace with. And so we see in this story today in John chapter 8, verse 1, that Jesus has come back to the temple, 1 and 2, and he's come back to the temple and he's teaching. And man, crowds are forming around Jesus. They want to know if this guy is who he says he is. Is this really the Messiah? And so they're sitting around, they're enthralled by his teaching when all of a sudden... The Pharisees and the legal experts bust in. Now, the thing you need to know about these folks is they had a bit of power around the people of Israel during that time, and they wanted to maintain their power, and Jesus kind of messed with that paradigm, and so they came in and they wanted to trap him. And so they brought in this woman who had been caught in the physical act of adultery, been pulled out and brought before Jesus, and they wanted Jesus to pronounce judgment on this woman. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, and you've read the the law of Moses, and you know it, then she should be put to death. And so this is what they say in verse 6. What do you say? Now, here's the thing that you need to know. They're trying to trap him, so if he is the Messiah, then he should absolutely follow through with God's law, right? But they know that Jesus has compassion on sinners, so... If he denies justice, then he's probably not really God, is what they're thinking. But if he does kind of follow through and say, yeah, everybody, let's stone her to death, let's execute her on the spot, then they know that Jesus will be arrested by the Roman authorities because it was against the law in Rome to sentence anybody or to kill anybody without the approval of the Roman officials. And so they say, what do you say And they said this to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. Now, I have two questions about this passage. First off, and I know y'all are thinking it, where was the man? Right? I'm pretty sure if you catch somebody in the act of adultery, there's two people there. In fact, Leviticus 20 verse 10 Uh, specifically states that if a man 
and a woman are caught in the act of adultery, they should both be brought forward to be executed. Where was the man? So Jesus, I think, was saying, and what we need to remember is that, man, when we say we follow the law, if we only follow half of it, then we absolutely have no reason to to condemn anybody else for the laws that they break. So that's my first question. My second one is, what was Jesus writing in the sand? Right, bending down, and, and I know we've talked about this before, and and we don't know. It's not explicit in Scripture, and so I get to make it up. <laughs> but here's my guess. My guess is that it's possible. He was writing Leviticus 20, verse 10. He was writing it out. And he was writing it out not because he expected or wanted the man to be there to be executed. I think he was writing it out to call out the Pharisees and to say to the legal experts, you're cowards. Because it is easy to bring a woman during the time of Jesus' time when they were seen as little more than property. It was easy to kill a woman during that time, which is shameful and, and sad, but it was easy for them to do that. What was harder was to bring a man who was connected, who was a friend, who had influence. And so I think Jesus was calling the Pharisees out. Friends, that's the orthodox understanding, the normal meaning of of this passage, whether we believe what he was writing or not, this idea that Jesus was going against the Pharisees and legal experts, that he was saying they were only following half of the law or part of the law. So we understand what was kind of going on and what Jesus was trying to teach the Pharisees. But I think if that's all we focus on, then we miss what God was doing through Jesus Christ in that moment. I don't want us to miss that. Because do you know what God was doing through Jesus Christ in that moment? God stooped. Jesus knelt down and he was with that woman in that moment. In her shamefulness, in her moment of vulnerability, in her moment of fear, God stooped and Jesus got low. And so as the crowds were around Jesus and he got low where she was, he said, if you're going to look down on her, you're going to have to look through me. And friends, that is an uncomfortable place for us to be, but that's the point. The amazing thing at work here is that we only understand the story if we walk away shaking our heads thinking, man, what is God doing? Grace is something we only begin to understand when we admit that we don't understand it. Friends, grace doesn't make sense, but it's exactly what we need. So last week, Pastor Rob encouraged us to see the sin that we carry in our life, the burdens that weigh us down as these rocks. And so we were invited, we were given a rock as we walked into the service, and we were invited to to hold on to that. And while Pastor Rob preached, we were invited at the end of the sermon to, uh, at the end of the, the service rather, to lay our rocks, our burdens, whatever it is that we carry here at the altar, at the at the uh, prayer kneelers, the prayer rails, symbolizing that we were actually laying them at the foot of the cross. We're invited to do that. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I found myself rubbing my rock. Did you do that? It's like a little warrior stone, and I was... Well, then, you know, the darnest thing happened. I started to get to know my rock. (laughs) It started to feel familiar, and I'm not kidding you. By the end of his sermon... now. I started to feel the rock and I started thinking about it and I wanted Pastor Rob to think I was paying attention so I never looked at the rock. But by the end of the sermon, I was thinking, man, I don't want to give this rock up. 
that's kind of a cool rock. And I'm not even being metaphorical. I'm just saying Liam likes rocks. I wanted to show him this cool rock that daddy got at work today, right? So I begrudgingly, I, I, th- I thought about it. I thought, well, maybe people won't see me if I like pretend to put a rock down. <laughs> but I did it. I hesitated, but I did it, and I laid my rock, and you know what I thought? I thought, after everybody leads, I can go back and snatch it. <laughs> and you know what's, what's so funny about the rocks that we carry? Is when we pretend to lay them down. When The reason that we struggle with laying our rocks down is because they're familiar. And the reason grace doesn't make sense to us is because it doesn't feel familiar. You know, we look around our world today and we all have such heavy burdens that we just expect that that's what we're going to give to each other. We don't expect grace. We don't expect it. It doesn't feel right. We're not used to it. We're used to these rocks. And so what we do is we want to hold on to our rocks. It feels weird to let them go, right? It feels weird to to, to let them go. And, and so we start to ask ourselves, Like, what's life going to be like without worry? Right? Whenever circumstances come around, I'm familiar with how to worry. I'm, Hey, friends, can I tell you, I'm good at worrying. All right? What about stress, man? Things are going crazy at the office, and I'm not exactly sure what to do or what decisions to make, but I thrive on stress, and I need that stress, and I need to share that stress with everybody else. I don't want to let it go. What would I be like if I didn't have stress? It kind of identifies me. What about the lies we tell to ourselves and to others? Man, they've gotten me out of some jams. What would I do with if I just had the truth to stand on? What about gossip? I mean, it feels, it doesn't feel good, but it feels familiar. What about fear? What about bitterness? You see, these rocks that we carry, they feel familiar. And the problem with that is when we, if we pretend to give our rocks away and we never do, then we find that they've never left our hands. Or even worse, we tried to give it away, but we went and snatched it back up and we hold on to it. And, and to prove that we don't carry these burdens, do you know what we do instead of dropping them? We grip onto them tighter and tighter and we have our clenched fists around our rocks because we don't want anybody else to know that that's what we're carrying. Have you ever done that? Trying to conceal something and so you have a clenched fist? And that's what we do with our rocks. And do you know what we do so people won't look at our hands, our clenched fists with our rocks in them? We look at the stones that everybody else is carrying. And man, it is easy to call those out. You know why? I have a theory about this. The rocks that we carry, the burdens that we carry, when we, it's easy for us to see in others what's within ourselves or the thing that we fear the most. And so when we see that, and I don't know if you've been like that, but... If somebody's worrying, I get mad at them for worrying. I know I'm worrying about it, but they're invading my space with their worry. Get out of here, right? And so I want to throw my, I want to condemn them. I want to call them out for the worry that they carry. If somebody's stressed out, we want to call out, we want to condemn the stressors, the, the stressed out people. If we struggle or if we carry the rock of lying, man, we are really good at spotting a liar, right? And so we want to condemn them. If we carry the rock of fear, we can we can condemn the fearful. If we carry bitterness, we can call out and condemn 
those who are bitter. And so we are really good and we're getting really good at identifying and condemning the people around us who carry rocks that look an awful lot like the ones we're trying to conceal. And then this thing happens to us. That we get tired of holding these rocks and we feel weird that we've held them for so long. So instead of giving them away, we think that the best thing to do, the sensation of getting rid of our rock is condemning somebody else who's throwing our stones at the people who carry rocks that look like ours. And so that's what we do. Instead of offering grace to the burdens that people carry, we just pile it on. And it feels right. And it feels like what we're supposed to do. And we think that we've gotten rid of our rock in that moment. But you know what all we've done is we've traded our small burden for a bigger one. And we've inflicted pain in the middle of doing that. And it just feels like a never-ending cycle and we're just trading up for the newer model of the bigger rock and the bigger burden. And I've got an idea. Instead of holding on to the rocks that we carry, I want to invite us to lay them down for good. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is to help others unload their burdens. That when we see somebody struggling with a burden that they're carrying that looks an awful lot like ours, maybe we point to Jesus Christ and offer grace in those moments And we might start dropping our rocks along the way. Those burdens that we carry. Now, I know you all know this, but I'm a pastor. Well, if you didn't know it, hey, I'm a pastor. Now, as a pastor, when I'm in pastor mode, I'm good at grace. Can I just tell you that? I just want to name that for what it is. I I believe in grace wholeheartedly. And uh, whenever I'm walking with people through life, uh, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that I believe that we should always offer grace over judgment or condemnation. And uh, and I believe it's part of who I am and who I'm called to be. Do you know the area that I struggle with doing that? When I'm at home with my family. You know, my wife and I admittedly both struggle with worry and stress. We can let it build up. Now, when my wife Melissa is stressed or worried about something and she's come to me with it, with her stress and worry, do you know what I do instead of offering grace in those moments and walking with her? I'm like... Here's my stress and worry, and I just add it on to the pile. Have you ever done that to a family member before? Oh, I know y'all have. You're just being quiet right now. I'm not the only one. But I find myself doing that. And I hold on to my rock tire, and I just want to keep piling it on. And, you know, my wife, God bless her, she can help me snap out of that pretty quick. But I found that if it's up to me, the only way that I can do that is to remember that I'm loved is to remember that I belong, is to remember that I have a purpose. And I know this may sound silly, but I'm telling you it works and I'm telling you I do it. Do you know what I do on a regular basis? I just have a little conversation with myself. And I just tell myself, Mark Montgomery, you are loved by God, no matter what. And I'm not kidding you, I, I do this on a regular basis. Mark Montgomery, you have a place and you belong, and it's not because you've earned your way in. It's because you've been given it. Mark Montgomery, you have a purpose and a calling, and you need to live into it. And the more I remember and the more I claim those and the more I speak it, both in my mind and out loud, the more it becomes real and grace begins to cover me, and it's harder and harder to condemn others because I am so filled with God's grace in those moments. And that's the way to break the cycle. And so I want to—I want you to hear me say this. I am not asking us to ignore sin in this world. 
What I'm asking all of us to do is to handle these moments with grace and mercy instead of condemnation and fear. Instead of focusing on the rocks that others carry, I want to invite us to take the hurt and pain that Jesus has taken from us. And now that we can see what others are carrying, because, hey, if people are carrying rocks like we used to carry, we can identify them better and we can walk with people through those moments. We can help them to unload those burdens. And when we do that, we'll begin to drop rocks that we didn't even know we were carrying. And we'll begin to let go of burdens we didn't even know we had. When we begin to point to Jesus Christ at work in the lives of other people, when we stop withholding God's grace from people around us, and when we do that, we will be freed up to realize that in our moments of need, Jesus is not throwing rocks at us. He's getting low where we are. God stoops, so we don't have to any longer. We can live differently. We can live freely. So as you continue in our scripture with me in chapter 8, verse 7 of John, the Pharisees, they continued to question Jesus. And so Jesus stood up and he replied, whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. You know what happened when he said that? It's funny, people started remembering, wait a minute, I am a sinner and I am in need of God's grace. And all of a sudden, one by one, they started to walk away, oldest first and then the youngest and they began to leave and then that moment jesus got back low after standing up and confronting them he got back low with her and after they had all left he said where uh woman is there anyone left and she said no and he said or is there anybody left to condemn you and she said no and he said well neither do i condemn you go and sin no more You see, she traded in her heavy burden for grace. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ gave her. You know, in the movie Les Miserables, based on the novel by Victor Hugo, Jean Valjean had just been freed from 19 years of forced labor for stealing a loaf of bread to give to his sister's daughter. And so he was wandering around trying to find food, trying to find a place to uh, sleep, some warmth in the cold, and he comes up, to where this bishop is living, I believe at a church. And the bishop, who could have rejected him, could have said, dude, you are a sinner, you stink, get out of here, I don't need you. But the bishop said that though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. He knew that God's law required love, charity, and humility. And even... And so he invites Valjean in, they eat together, he treats him like an honored guest, and then by the, in the middle of the night, Valjean wakes up, and in a a hasty moment, he steals from the bishop all the silver that he has, and he's running away, and he's captured by the authorities, and as he's captured by the authorities, he tells them, I guess he gets this idea, he's like, oh, no, 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 I wasn't stealing, I, uh, I... I was given all this, the bishop really wanted me to have all this, and so they go back and they talk to the bishop, And um, the bishop looks at Valjean after hearing all this because they want to confirm the story. And the bishop says, oh, I'm so glad that you've returned. You forgot the the best part, these two silver candlesticks. Here you go, right? And then the authorities leave. And the bishop says something to him. He says, I want you to take this silver and I want you to use it to become a good man. And then he says, I have saved your soul for God today. And that's exactly what he did. 
And it was in that moment, and you can actually shortly after too, that Valjean traded his heavy burden for grace. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? And she said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, and I want you to read this with me, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, don't sin anymore. Friends, whatever our struggle is, whatever the rock is that we carry, we don't have to hold on to the lie anymore that we aren't loved, that we don't belong, that we don't have a purpose in this life. God loves us. We belong. We have a purpose. Grace heals the broken relationships we have with ourselves, with God, and with others. And as part of our healing, do you know the cool thing that God does when we lay our rocks down, when we help others with their burdens? God transforms us in a mighty way, and we get to be agents of change in the broken lives of other people. How cool is that? And the cool thing, too, is that we start to learn how to trust again in our relationships with ourselves, with God, and with others. And we remember and we start to realize that no matter where we might find ourselves, that in those moments, God stoops. God kneels and is with us in those circumstances and offers us to do the same with others. And so as we do that, I I just want to remind us all that grace doesn't make sense, but it's exactly what we need. May we receive it. May we live it. May we share it.